travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. In 2020, longtime listener Christina Tag packed up and set off for Asia with the intention to live in the region. In January 2023, she came on Talk Travel Asia episode 163 to talk about how that decision was made where she journeyed to, and why she settled in the city that she did, Bangkok, Thailand. Since being on the show, she's traveled across Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, exploring largely by motorbike, which she purchased in Laos. Today, Christina returns to the show to share her adventures. I'm Trevor Ranges, recording from Siem Reap, Cambodia, and with me once again is my co-host, Scott Coates. How's it going, Scott? Aloha, Trevor. Doing well. The air pollution has been pretty shitty with mm. cold weather and kind of not much wind, but it has cleared up, so I'm happy the air is good. Been out for a few runs. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Trevor, doing real well. I've been enjoying, we had a colder week here in Bangkok last week, and I'm really excited to have Christine on the show. In fact, I don't think we've had somebody on so quickly after their first episode, and she's been on a wild journey, so I'm looking forward to learning about it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it has been a little bit of a theme. We did have uh, Mark on twice recently to talk about Indonesia. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it's also, you know, when we get some interesting guests on, it's good to have them back. And uh, Christina was an interesting story because uh, if people go back and listen to episode 163, uh, she was a bit inspired by our show in her decision to come to Asia. And then meeting you was quite a fortuitous coincidence. And uh, and that's how she ended up uh, just getting involved in our world and ending up on the show herself. Uh, so then when she decided to, to travel these past few months, we thought, hey, you know, that's a great opportunity to have her on again. Indeed. Yeah. And I met her on a bike trip up to Chit Beer. And then she told me in the pier at the end of the day that she was a fan of the show. And we were partly responsible for her coming over here. So just before we get into it with Christina, remember, Trevor and I do this for the love of sharing travel. We have people called patrons who sponsor the show from as little as a couple of dollars a month or upwards to help keep it going. You can click on donate on TalkTravelAsia.com, our website, or on Patreon. And we want to thank Laura T, who apparently just booked her wildlife-focused trip to Indonesia and was asking about it. And then we had Mark on the trip. So get little extras in between each of these episodes, like videos and special short episodes that Trevor and I record by becoming a patron. So, Trevor, uh, should we get Christine in here? Yeah, let's bring her on. Well, according to her LinkedIn profile, Christina Tag is highly motivated, energetic, and a compassionate individual with an educational research background in psychology. We're truthfully not sure how much of that is true or accurate, but we used this when she was on the show for the first time, and I believe that went to air in early January 2023. Anyway, Christina's episode was so interesting, and she went on to do some amazing travel that we thought we would have her on again. She went from working in Bangkok for a few years to almost going home and then saying, screw it, I'm going to travel Southeast Asia. We think she went to Laos and bought a motorbike. And she is here with me in Bangkok right now 
to tell us more about what actually happened. Welcome to the show again, Christina. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, back. You know, you were on just recently, and we seem to be doing a lot of uh, follow-up episodes lately, and uh, we're excited to have you on the show again. You were about to move back to the U.S. at the end of 2022. In fact, you and I were on a little bike ride in Bangkok one morning, and you sent me a message the next day saying, you know what, I've decided to go to Laos and travel. And I heard that you went there, you learned how to ride a motorbike, and you bought a motorbike. How was that decision made? I did all those things. Um, Yeah, so once again, I can partly credit your podcast to this. Um, So I was thinking about kind of some of my favorite experiences here in Thailand, and I was thinking, like, the common thread was always being on a bike. Like, Mm. I only knew how to ride an automatic at the time, but... Whenever I'd go to the islands or I'd go to the north, I would always rent a bike and I'd have so much fun. It sounds corny, but just like feeling the wind in my hair and riding fast and seeing beautiful sights. And I just was like, this is such a cool way to see Thailand. And then I listened to your episode with Maeve and Andrea talking about motorbiking in Southeast Asia. And I was like, you know what? I could not just rent bikes on this trip, but actually try to do this trip on a bike. And so I made it happen. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to just pull up a Google Maps again so we can follow along with your program as you explain it to us. But, um, you know, how much time did you plan to travel on this trip? And uh, how did you decide exactly where you were going to go? Or did you kind of just wing it? Um, A little bit of both. So I never really planned more than like a week out. Like I would have a rough idea of where I wanted to go, but I kind of planned it with an open schedule so that I could stay a little bit longer in some in a place if I liked it or maybe skip something if I like started to hear that it wasn't great um so yeah it varied varied quite a bit but I I left it open enough that I could change plans if need be so yeah okay now I was thinking Laos Cambodia and Vietnam where I know where you went but the trip when you left Bangkok behind actually started in northern Thailand didn't it it did so what did you do Um, So I spent a weekend in Chiang Mai with friends, which was lovely as always, and then I took a bus to Chiang Rai, and I wanted to start the moto loop that Scott, you actually recommended Mm. to me, um, which was wonderful. So I actually messaged, I think seriously, all of the motorbike shops in Chiang Rai, and I ended up finding a small one that I didn't see anywhere online. I think their whole page is in Thai, but I'm happy to link it if you guys are interested. And it was the only shop in town I could find that would rent me a bike and arrange to pick it up at the Lao border. Cool. Um, So every other shop was like, we don't offer that service. But for 1500 baht, this wonderful woman like met me at the border. She drove, you know, I think three hours from Chiang Rai and I got to do a good six to eight hours of motorbiking, I think, because it was up along the Myanmar border at the Golden Triangle and then down the Mekong on a really beautiful route. So, yeah. Cool. So you got yourself to Chiang Kong and then I presume you moved into Laos. Yeah. So across the border into Huai Sai and then from there I took the slow boat and yeah, that was really the only bit that and one other flight later in the trip just for a weekend for Christmas actually. Um, Those were the only things I didn't do by bike. So, yeah, just the slow boat. Okay, so you took the slow boat from Chiang Kong to Luang Prabang, is that correct? And then I guess that's where you picked up your motorbike for the rest of your adventure? It is, yeah. So um, I learned how to ride, and it took took a couple weeks to find the bike that I needed because I needed a bike with Vietnam plates. 
and a blue car in order to take it across countries. Um, so I was posting in some Facebook groups and it, it took a little bit to get exactly what I needed. So in that time, I actually rented a dirt bike and took it up to Nongkiao um, and then went back to Luang Prabang, got my bike and then continued south. So if I know from the story, you knew how to ride an automatic. Two-part question. I mean, how do you decide on a bike and find it? And B, how did you learn to drive a manual shift motorbike? Yeah, so actually Andrea was super helpful with this. So oh, great. Scott, I asked you if you could um, put us in contact. And then when I was in Long Prabhat, I met with her. She's lovely. Um, and she gave me to a friend of hers who taught me how to ride. Um, mm. Because I was looking for like schools and those don't really exist <laughs> there. So she was like, well, I have a friend. He might be able to help you. And I went, he taught me how to ride. And then that day he was like, you know, you're pretty good on a bike. We could like go out further. And we went like 40 kilometers away on that first day of me riding a manual bike and went to like Pakau area, which was absolutely stunning um, along the river. And I was absolutely hooked from that point and rented a dirt bike a few days later. And, and what was the bike? What was the hog, the big machine you finally bought? Uh, it is a Honda Win, which is like the traditional uh, backpacker motorbike. This is a fake Honda Win. It's definitely like a Chinese copy of a Honda, so oh, really? it's not actually a Honda, but they're very budget-friendly and every mechanic knows how to fix them and can get the parts everywhere, so they're really versatile for this sort of trip. Is this a, a 125 or a 250? Or? It's a 110. Small bike. You drove was annoying. a 110. Incredible. Yeah, she was small, but I mean, I went up a lot of mountains. I did a lot of, a lot of things on that little bike. It was surprising. Impressive. Yeah, you know, that was one of my questions, too, about, uh, you know, it's one thing to learn how to ride passably um, and feel comfortable on the bike. The other thing is, what do you do about breaking down in the middle of nowhere? So I guess it was kind of smart to pick up a bike that could be repaired easily. Um, but were you nervous about setting off on the road alone, or did some of your earlier travels give you a bit more confidence? You know what, honestly, I wasn't nervous until I was on the bike and started having experiences where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm by myself and I don't speak the language. And sometimes that coincides with not having cell service as well and not being able to translate. So I wasn't nervous, but that took care of itself. That's pretty ballsy doing all that. So where did you end up going on this motorbike in Laos? Um, so I started like I said, in Luang Prabang, and I have to say the first three days on this bike were some of the hardest days of my whole trip. So the drive from Luang Prabang to Vang Bieng is really tough. Um, the roads are not great. There are so many potholes and lots of big trucks, and it's just they're super windy mountain roads the mm -hmm. whole way as well. So that was a tough learning experience um going from a dirt bike to nongkiao with no trouble taking the potholes i didn't really notice right. them as much and then on this bike the tires are very thin and obviously it's a small engine as well so it's going up a, a lot of mountains and yeah had a had a few issues with the bike and a few small crashes nothing crazy sorry mom if you're listening to this um but yeah it, the first few days were very very rough for sure it was super challenging and i definitely was like Am I going to make it this whole way? But persevered and it got a lot better. Okay, so you did pretty long stretches then. So you didn't, like you knew you were going, let's say, from Long Prabang to Vang Vieng in the first day. So, so you sort of had 
some place in mind to stay each night. Uh, so you had something of a plan where you were going to go next, yeah? Yeah, but it often did not go to plan, um, especially with this kind of bike. So, you know, as I said, it's it's budget friendly, but you do get what you pay for as well. So I had my share of issues with the bike that would set me back a day. And honestly, it, I really learned in those first few days that just when you're traveling by bike, you kind of can't you can't expect things to go to plan and you can't have a really strict timeline because things are just going to change. So, for example, that initial drive to Bang Vieng, what I thought was going to be done in like one or two days was three days. Um, it took a very long time. So, budget extra, especially in the mountains, I would say. Hmm. So you spent some time in Vang Vien, and then what was the intention of the route? I don't know, did you plan to go to Cambodia next or Vietnam, and then where did you go through Laos? Yeah, so I, I thought my journey was going to be a lot quicker um, because I was trying to make it home for Christmas and pretty quickly, like I said, with the bike, I just realized this this timeline just isn't going to work and mm -hmm. it's not really a trip you want to rush. Like, I really enjoyed Laos. I spent about six weeks there in total and I just found myself stopping at little places and kind of having like serendipitous moments where I had an issue with the bike and I ended up getting to see a place that I never would have formally stopped and just was like, hey, I love it here. I'm going to spend a few days. Um, for example, like there was a small farm slash guest house in Laos um, that I never would have stopped at. That was on the way to Vang Yang, and I ended up spending, I think, like four days there. So it was like three days of actual driving and then like this little, this little beautiful detour. So yeah. Yeah, how are the roads there now? I mean, they, they have that new high-speed train. Um, I know, like, on a bus, it's pretty crazy. And I know, like, again, I was driving around on my motorcycle in Cambodia today, and I was looking for something, and you can barely take your eyes off the road because there's huge holes and there's people driving on the wrong side of the road and stuff. So were you able to, to drive and enjoy the scenery, or were your eyes on the road the whole time? Um, a bit of both. So I think I definitely took it pretty slow. And I wanted to because I wanted to be able to enjoy the route. But um, yeah, a lot of potholes and a lot of chickens and buffalo <laughs> cows and just things you, you don't really, you're not used to anticipating if you're not driving in rural areas. So yeah, you definitely have to, to be very aware of the roads, especially in Laos, because those giant potholes will get you if you don't see them. So somebody that had never been to Laos and you ended up spending six weeks there, in a nutshell, what were your impressions of Lao, the country, and the people? I absolutely loved it there, honestly. Um, the people were amazing, and I think going back to what I said when I was on here the first time with you guys, the thing that kept me in Thailand for so long was the people, and I found on this trip that increased like a hundredfold. Like I met so many wonderful, amazingly kind and helpful people, which I really don't think I would have made it through this journey mm -hmm. without the kindness of so many strangers. All right, so how about before we move on, what was your favorite experience there in Laos? Scenery-wise, I would say the Takek Loop, which I know you guys have talked about before, was absolutely stunning. What is it, sir? Um, like the Takek Motorbike Loop. Oh, okay. That was super, super lovely. Um, super scenic the whole way. Really mountainous and amazing. Um, and that little farm guest house that I went to, it's called Tao Guest House. Super cute, they have wonderful reviews online as well for good reason. That was really cool. I got to harvest rice there, like the traditional rice harvest with a sickle, uh -huh. and that was really cool. Um, they had like one day old baby piglets, and yeah, it was just super, super lovely. I got to harvest coffee. Um, 
So those two really stand out in my mind. And just in general, Laos was so mountainous and beautiful and full of kind people. Really loved it. Cool. So I assume there's much more to that Lao trip, but we have a lot of territory to cover. And I'm imagining you made your way south to Vientiane and then down to Savannakhet and Champasak and Paxe and so forth. And did you cross at the southernmost point of Laos into Cambodia? I sure did. Yeah, exactly. So tell us this. A, a woman on a small motorbike rolls up to the border of Laos, Cambodia. How do you get your bike across? Um, yeah, so the, definitely the bike was not in my name, so there was a bit of a bit of challenge. About four hours of negotiations were made, and eventually, eventually, I was able to get it over. But um, there was a lot of sweet talking and some ask for a bribe. So yeah. Okay, and you're in Cambodia. Yeah, and then so I mean that that probably slowed you down a bit. So you ended up staying in Stung Treng. I guess for a night, didn't you? you? It took you a couple of days, I think, to make it to Siem Reap. Yeah, I actually did. So I made it to from Stuing trying to Siem Reap in a day, but it was a bit rough, and I definitely hit some rain at the end of it. So I would say that was a pretty long drive to do in one day, and I definitely should have stopped at um, Kokur on the way. But I actually went back later on and went to see Kokur. But I would mm. definitely recommend Stuing trying to Kokur and then stop there, maybe spend a night in that area, and then see. So you made it to Siemria on this motorbike. By this point, what are you, seven weeks into the trip? Yeah. And have you had any major breakdowns or servicing issues? Um, not major, but I did I did replace the battery, which I later found out was probably not necessary in this, these kinds of bikes. You can just replace the battery acid. So tricks you learn along the way that would have been good to know from the start, but um, mostly just small things on the bike, but sometimes it would be enough to keep me like overnight in a place or like for example there was a time in laos when i ended up actually at that little farm i had a flat tire but i was kind of in the middle of nowhere so i had to walk i think about two kilometers to find the nearest shop and then i had to try to explain to him that my tire was flat with my like minimal tie which Mm -hmm. a lot of people in laos can understand tie so that actually really came in handy but unfortunately did not learn the words until after this experience definitely learn those words in Lao, but I didn't know the words to say my tire is flat Hmm. and it's parked two kilometers Hmm. away. Can you go retrieve the tire and fill it and come back? So that whole ordeal ended up taking a couple hours with all things considered. So it was those kinds of things that would slow me down. Like it wasn't a catastrophic issue with the bike by any means, but it was enough to, to kind of pause the journey a bit. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of funny. I guess you'd have to pantomime a flat tire. Because I know that lots of times when you can't speak the local language, you have to use some sign language. So that must have been pretty funny to see. Um, but yeah, you made you made it eventually to see Mriup, and that was yeah. nice because you got to help me out at the half marathon beer fest, and you ran in the half marathon too. Was that a good experience for you? That was an awesome experience. It was my first time in Anchor as well, so. I got to run, and then I got to hang out with you and drink beer. So it was really a perfect day. It went well. Yeah, and then uh, you're like, where should I go next? And I think I gave you some crazy advice uh, I sent you. Maybe up to Bente Chamar. I've, I've had so many people pass through here now, I can't remember who I sent where. But I know that you ended up doing the trip over the Cardamom Mountains down to Koh Kong. Um, but did you, did you do a trip in the north first before you headed south? I did. So I went back up to Koh because oh, right. I was... Yeah. 
kind of like bummed that I missed it. So I went there and then I went to Cabalspin and then back to Siem Reap. And then I went down to Batambang and then from Batambang to Koh Kong. And that was an absolute journey, Trevor. You did, <laughs> you did send me on a crazy ride, but it was such an experience. Is it doable in one day from Batambang to Koh Kong or did you have to break that up? Oh, absolutely not. I tried to do it in a day. That was probably the craziest experience of my journey, to be honest. That road was tough. And I later saw on the um, the Facebook group that we're in for Cambodia, some other people were posting about that route who were like, there was a guy on a BMW bike who posted oh. that he crashed his bike and had some issues. So I think it's just a tough road in general. So there was the kind of main road, which is already small. And then there was an even smaller road. So the guy at the um, community center in the Cardamom Mountains suggested that I take the smaller road because he said there are waterfalls and it's really beautiful. Um, and it was pretty, but it was super, super, super desolate. So there were very few vehicles passing. It was very gravelly, a lot of loose gravel, which is quite tough on thin tires. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of falls. Ooh. I also left too late in the day. I ran out of gas, which was my own. Oh. I was rushed when I was leaving and just not planning properly. So that was a very tough day. And I ended up, long story long, I ended up with like on a bus completely full of Cambodians and they made room for me. There was luckily a little girl who spoke amazing English. Well, she was 14, she wasn't little, but um, she was able to translate everything. But basically they were like, she was like, we can fit you barely, but we definitely can't fit your bikes. So you're gonna have to leave it. And I eventually said, is it possible to pay someone on the bus to like go get my bike and then drive it? Like I'll pay whatever you think is fair, but like I just don't want to leave it here because there's no way I'm going to see it again. And she got her dad actually to ride my bike and I think he ended up riding for like wow. four or five hours and I was on this bus with these amazing people. They were so <laughs> wonderful. But that was probably one of the craziest days because it was just trying to communicate with them and then being like, literally like on the floor of this bus like there wasn't a seat there wasn't space so sorry you had to leave the bike because you ran out of gas or it was broken well i just kept falling and it was getting later like i didn't anticipate that the journey was going to take as long as it did which was partly from running out of gas and i just definitely should have left earlier as well and just given myself more time for that but i didn't and it was starting to get dark i didn't have any cell reception there were no people around so i was like I think if I don't get on this bus, this just isn't, this isn't going well. I keep falling. Like if this just isn't looking good. It's an amazing decision and circumstance. Well played. Wow. Okay. So then, uh, you made it down to Kampot. Did you go up to Phnom Penh and then from there down to Vietnam? Is that the route? Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't spend enough time, I think in Kampot and Phnom Penh. So I'll definitely have to return and give those their their due time, but um, yeah, they. I had a really great time. Kampot was super lovely, and Phnom Penh seems great as well, so I definitely want to go back. Now, how about moving this motorbike through our next border between Cambodia and Vietnam? How did that go? That was easy peasy, and this time I actually think leaving early or leaving late worked to my benefit because I was waiting on my Vietnam visa. This seems to be a theme. And I kept emailing, nobody was answering me. I finally got the visa pretty late in the day. So I was like, well, my plan was to be there for Christmas and I was gonna fly to Hoi An for Christmas. And I was like, okay, I just have to leave. I'm just gonna go and like, hopefully these roads will be well lit because I know I'll be driving at night now, but I'm just gonna do it. 
So I did, and it worked to my advantage because I was there. I got to the border, like, I think within 30 minutes or so of them closing. So they really didn't care. I think they just wanted to go home. So they processed my visa, and no one asked about the bike. And based on the last experience, I was not trying to volunteer any information about having a bike. So I just, like, quietly parked it on one side, went in and got my visa, and then drove off and was waiting for someone to stop me, and no one did. So... I'm not sure if that's recommendable, but that's what I did. Slight. It's probably a little bit of both. That border is pretty easy, uh, both directions for a lot of things. And uh, and probably, again, because you had the Vietnam plates on that bike, they, they might have let you through anyway. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty lucky. And then I guess once you get to the other side, like, Vietnam's got pretty nice roads, so it was probably a bit smoother sailing from there on out, huh? It should have been. <laughs> it was a really smooth day, but actually my bike... Either the battery died or there was like an issue with wiring. I think it was wiring because it just kept kind of coming up. But everything was so smooth and I was so impressed with how wonderfully the day was going. A really lovely woman in like a cell phone shop gave me a SIM card because I only had a $20 bill. I didn't have Vietnamese Dong yet. She didn't have change. So she just Mm. gave me a SIM card. I was like, this is wonderful. This has been the perfect day. And then as I'm thinking this, my bike battery like dies in the middle of the road. Oh. Like I was at a light and then all of a sudden all the lights went out, the horn stopped working. And I was like, it's pretty late. I don't think it's a good idea for me to drive an hour and a half with no lights. Tried to stop at a mechanic, they were closed. I went to a little coffee shop and talked to some locals. Well, Google translated with them. And they were so kind. They took me to buy a flashlight. We're like guiding me and then they were like, you should really stay here. Like you shouldn't probably drive like even with the flashlight, like it's no way. It's not a light. So with their advice and their like kindness, I ended up staying in a in a hotel in this like random I don't even know what the town was, but yeah, they were like insistent that I stay because they're like, I just, you shouldn't drive at night. They were right. So yeah, it was mostly smooth, but lucky the people are amazing as well. So were you driving at night a lot? Because it's kind of classic motorbike thing, don't drive at night. But you've mentioned many nighttime drives. I try not to, but I think like going a bit slow, it just, you do you do end up sometimes getting into the nighttime. But I think in Vietnam, it was much easier to drive at night, except if you're in the mountains. But like if you're in any anywhere near a city, it's no problem. The roads are really well lit. But in a lot of Laos and Cambodia, and the mountains in Vietnam, to be fair, there are no lights. So that's where it starts to be like really risky territory. For example, that drive to Koh Kong, that's where I was like, no, if it gets dark here, I'm just not in a good situation. So I want to not do that. Right. Okay. So tell us about your Vietnam itinerary then. I did slightly different than the route most people do. Um, So most people go up the coast the whole way in the south. Um, so I didn't do that. I went instead up to Katian National Park from Ho Chi Minh City. Um, so I spent like a day there and that was pretty lovely. Um, and then from there I went to, from Katian I went to Dalat, which I really loved. Dalat was super lovely. Um, and then from Dalat I went, I was planning to go to Nha Trang and Another day, got caught in the rain <laughs> in some really terrible weather in the mountains and ended up staying um, in Choppy Mountain Bungalows, actually, which I would highly recommend. It was super lovely, like a little coffee plantation. Um, that place was great, but yeah, so ended up kind of taking a scenic route to Nha Trang, and then from there to Buôn Ma Thuot, and then um, 
up north to Kontum, to Pleiku, and then Kontum, then Danang, I think, and then just stopped off in another little place on the way there, like just a small guest house to break up the journey a bit. So Danang was the end of the motorcycle journey? It was, yeah. The, the bike is in Hoi An, so near Da Nang. I flew out of Da Nang to come back to Bangkok. And I've seen on Facebook the bike is for sale. Is it still for sale or has it been sold? It's still for sale. Someone's going to look at it on Wednesday, so I'll keep you posted. But yeah. And you bought this bike for how much and how much are you selling it for? I bought it for 330 USD, which is a bit more than people normally pay for this bike, actually, um, which I knew at the time, but... There were very few options in Laos with the Vietnam plates, so sure. I was like, I'll take what I can get. Um, but normally they go for around $250. Um, I'm okay to negotiate to $200, and I've told people this when they've expressed interest. I'm like, look, I can do it for $200 if you give it a good home and take good care of her, but like, yeah. And then how much did you put into repairs and such along the way? Probably, probably quite a bit, to be honest. I mean, most things can be done cheaply, but it's just a matter of learning what the going rate is in each place that you are. There was definitely a time in Laos that I got a bit screwed over, I think, on repairs. And um, I think it's for super important to just always ask how much they're going to charge before they start, whether that's through Google Translate or however you're going to ask it. But in that case, I didn't because I was, it was the day before I crossed the border and I was a little afraid I'd have to sell the bike. So I wanted mm. to get some stuff fixed that had broken along the way, like lights and things like that. So the guy replaced all the things, but I didn't ask him how much it was gonna be because prior to that it had been really cheap and I think it was like $60 that day for repairs, which was quite a lot. But normally I would get out of the mechanic for, I would say $15 or less. So you spend a few hundred dollars on repairs over the courses? In total, maybe about 200. Wow. So you bought a bike for 300 and some and you spent 200 repairs. That's all. excellent. Yeah, I guess it's not so bad when we, when we actually put the numbers and out there. You, you have sold it already or is it still parked somewhere waiting for you to come back and jump on it again? No, it's, it's parked at this lovely little guest house. So, um, so it's for sale and the guy who owns the guest house is, um, he said he'll let me know if any guests are interested, but, um, I'm still getting some responses on my Facebook post, so someone's supposed to look at it in two days, so we'll see. It's quite a journey you did, particularly as a woman, which shouldn't be the case, but it still is a factor. What, what did you learn along this way? Um, honestly, I, I left the trip feeling really empowered. Like, I learned that you kind of can get through any situation and just push through and figure it out. Like. A lot can be communicated without words and just, like you said, Trevor, like pantomimes and hand signals. Um, and just, yeah, I learned to have a bit more confidence in my own like capabilities because there were a lot of really tough situations and in the moment you just kind of figure it out, you know? So then are you headed back out on the road? Are you going to stick around Bangkok for a while? What's next? What's next on the adventures of Christina Tag? So I'm actually moving to Vietnam. I'm moving to Ho Chi Minh City. So that was a that was a fun surprise. Um, I just I really fell in love with the people and the culture and the beautiful scenery. And yeah, so that's next. So you're going in the next couple of days. You're going to go to Ho Chi Minh City. And you told me when you came over to record, you're going to teach. What are you teaching there? Yeah, so I'll just be doing an English teaching job. Um, it's familiar and 
the hours are fantastic, so it'll allow me enough time to travel and see the rest of the country, which I'm super stoked about. If someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, hey, Christina's inspired me to do this too, uh, do you have any tips or advice to give someone who may want to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, so I would definitely say um, try to buy your gear beforehand, particularly like clothing. Like um, definitely you're going to want your skin to be pretty covered for the sun and also in case you fall. Um, so I always wore a denim jacket, but I didn't really have any jeans that fit me here in Bangkok. And I got quite used to Bangkok where everything's available. And then I went straight into Laos where that is just not the case. So I had a very hard time finding I didn't ever find jeans that fit me, actually. And like definitely it was hard to find certain things, um, like sunscreen even. You kind of want to get your good sunscreens and your clothes and stuff before you go. And then, yeah, not have to deal with it when you get there because not everything will be readily available, especially if you are Western-sized. If you're a little on the tall side or curvy side, or in my case, a bit of both, it's not going to be possible to find the clothes that you need. So get them before you go. <laughs> That would be my advice. And then just do it. Buy a bike and get out there. That's pretty awesome. I've never just bought a little bike like this or even a big bike and just driven it across multiple countries like you've done. I was kind of surprised when you did it. It's, it's quite a tale, and we really appreciate you coming back. I think this is the closest that the same guest has been on twice because you were on episode 163, which went live on January 1st. And I believe this is 167, just a, a few months later. So thanks a ton for sharing your pretty darn incredible journey and good on you for doing it. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's, it's been a great journey and I hope everybody gets out there and buys a bike and tries to see things. Yeah, thanks, Christina. Hopefully, uh, maybe we'll have you on again to tell us about your adventures in Vietnam. All right. That was a good episode. I'm glad we had Christina on the show again to hear about the rest of her travels. Uh, it was cool that she and I got to meet up while she was passing through Cambodia. But uh, after that, you know, my life's so crazy that uh, I sort of lost track of where she went. So it's kind of cool now to find out how the rest of her trip went, uh, especially that part where she ended up in Koh Kong and had to get on the bus and get some guy to drive the bike and everything. That's a great story. It's a fantastic story, and I sort of expressed it in our chat with her, but I'm kind of blown away. I mean, I've never just set off in a 110 through three countries, and again, she doesn't speak the language and crossing borders and, you know, setting off late. And it's all, it's a pretty goddamn wild trip. And I love the fact that she bought this bike, or she said, I think $320 or something, and she's happy to take 200 for it at the end, and she put about 200 into it. Like, that is seriously minimal cost travel yeah that kind of surprised me when she first said it i was like wait that, that's how much she spent i mean because like i i feel like i'd want to spend a little bit more to get something that i felt more confident wasn't going to break down on me but i guess uh if you buy a bike that's super easy for everyone to fix uh then that's kind of an advantage too yeah indeed buying a simple one that can be serviced almost anywhere is a big bonus because well, it would be awesome to say have a Ducati or a BMW, that thing's not going to be able to be fixed places. Then again, it might not need it. But I really just appreciated her incredibly adventurous spirit being willing to set off and, and do all this. And particularly being a younger, attractive woman, like bad stuff can happen anywhere. But she's traveling alone, never really know what's around the next corner, literally. And uh, 
You know, she didn't really mention any concerns, particularly about being a woman, which sort of stood out for me. The fact that that wasn't a theme she brought up. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, these these younger generations, uh, they don't necessarily differentiate so much uh, between what men and women are supposed to be able to do. Now, of course, uh, you know, th- there are more concerns for women traveling alone. Safety-wise, let's say that is a reality. Um, but, you know, like the spirit of adventure and the, and the confidence and the, the, the attitude to, to go out and do anything, I think, is... Uh, you know, obviously present in Christina. And I, you know, you told me, but, uh, about her travels beforehand and that she was very much like me, I guess, when I was younger and just kind of winging it and camping and just staying wherever and just kind of making up your adventure as you go along. Um, so she clearly is carrying that attitude on, uh, with her bike adventures. Um, so yeah, good for her. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh, that the trip worked out really well for her thing it's going to sound like her dad but she mentioned equipment i think you should make sure you have some good riding equipment if you do this listeners christina was a little thin on the clothes at times seeing a few of her photos but uh she had a few spills but she made it through alive and i love now that she's going to ho chi Minh. like she still hasn't been home which she was planning on doing at christmas time and now she's just off to a new country to try life there so that was fantastic if you enjoyed the conversation you like what we're doing become a patron sponsor the show only costs a few bucks a month and you'll get that special in between episode bonus content like the video we recently shared of me cycling through bangkok's old city and yawarat chinatown become a patron like laura t and you'll get those special bonus bits too so trevor how about you wrap this big bad episode up for us yeah uh it was great to have christine on the show always good to chat with you scott uh i think we have an, uh, some interesting episodes lined up for 2023 so far uh we definitely Indeed. could use some uh guests though so if anybody has a recommendation or think they could be an interesting guest themselves go ahead and contact us go to our website talktravelasia.com and there should be a contact button there's a donate button if you want to help us out financially we'd really appreciate that and then you'll get our patron only content which uh, i think is really fun so thanks for listening everybody and uh, thanks scott we'll be back in two weeks thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Tom and Kimberly?